the National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them. Fall is here. Snow has fallen in the Rockies, the days are getting shorter, and some animals are realizing that winter isn't that far away. This is Kurt Repencheck, your host at the National Parks Traveler. With the change of seasons underway, you should mark your calendar for the most unusual competition in the national park system and get started on your bracket. No, not your NCAA tournament bracket, but your fat bear bracket. The week of October 5th through 11th at Katmai National Park and Preserve in Alaska officially is Fat Bear Week in the park, and the traveler's Lynn Riddick caught up with Leon Law, Katmai's visual information specialist, to learn more about it. Lynn will be back with Leon after a short break. Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It is also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That is why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people, inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference at friendsofacadia.org. Whether it be strategy, business planning, change management, board development, executive search, or diversity planning, Petrero Group is here to help. They mix a depth of experience in the parks and land space with a breadth of best practices from other industries. For more information or to schedule a preliminary conversation, go to potrerogroup.com. P-O-T-R-E-R-O group.com. Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to raise private support to deepen everyone's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org. The Everglades Foundation, the only organization whose sole mission is to restore and protect America's Everglades. Learn more at EvergladesFoundation.org. If you haven't made it up to Katmai National Park and Preserve in Alaska and seen brown bears catching salmon out of the Brooks River, no problem. You can see them anytime you like while keeping a safe distance by watching them live on the bear cams at explore.org. And as you watch them stuffing themselves in preparation for hibernating, you might be inspired to participate in the annual Fat Bear Week competition. Our guest this week is Leon Law, Visual Information Specialist at Katmai, and she has all the details. Hi, Leon. Welcome to The Traveler. Hi, Lynn. It is always a pleasure to talk about fat bears here at Katmai. Great. Well, let's start first with the National Park. Um, what can you tell us about Katmai? Where is it located and just how beautiful is it there? Katmai National Park and Preserve is located in southwest Alaska and it covers nearly 4.1 million acres. And the landscape is pretty varied. We have tundra, spruce forests, glacial and volcanic features, as well as roughly 500 miles of coastline. And of course, we also have numerous lakes and hundreds of miles of rivers and streams that support healthy runs of sockeye salmon. Sounds beautiful. One day I will definitely get up there. Let's talk about brown bears in general and the numbers you find in Katmai. What can you tell us about that? 
Sure. Here at Katmai, we have one of the densest concentrations of brown bears anywhere in the world, with an estimated population of 2,200 in the park and preserve. Wow. So any other bears besides uh, brown bears? All of our bears here are brown bears. So, um, And I know there are often questions about the difference between brown bears and grizzly bears. But that distinction is often arbitrary in some ways because they are the same species. That being said, though, brown bears are generally considered those that have access to coastal food resources like salmon compared to grizzly bears who live more inland. Yeah, I was curious about the difference between brown bears and grizzlies. Yeah, I mean, the main difference really is what they are eating, and that in turn kind of affects their size. So in general, because brown bears have access to those coastal food resources, those really fatty resources like salmon, they tend to be a lot larger compared to grizzly bears. Now, are any of the bears there tagged or GPS collared at all? So if we talk specifically about Brooks Camp, we don't collar or tag any of our bears. We do identify them though, and we do this based on physical and behavioral characteristics. But in the past, we have had projects in some of the coastal areas of Katmai where we have had GPS collars. So besides Brooks Falls, where else in the park, uh, I guess along the coastline, will you find big bear populations there? So Katmai supports large populations of brown bears throughout our area. So Brooks Falls is perhaps the most well-known because it is the most developed. It has visitor services. It's also the location of our bear cams. But you can find brown bears throughout our park. The coastal areas are really great to see bears there, as well as some areas in the preserve as well. And why is Brooks Falls such a good feeding spot? So Brooks Falls in particular is a bit unique and it's an iconic area. You know, if you ever see pictures of bears catching fish at the lip of a waterfall, that's exactly where we are talking about. And brown bears here are seen in large numbers. I have stood at the falls platform before and counted 60 bears or so, all within one sweeping view. And I think the real question is, why do we see so many at this particular location in Brooks Camp as well? And to answer that, you kind of have to look at the physical features of Brooks Falls. So the waterfall itself is only about six feet high. And when you compare that to many other waterfalls in national parks, it's pretty small, it's pretty insignificant. However, the falls spans the entire river. And so for salmon looking to migrate upstream, six feet is quite an obstacle. And so as fish attempt to jump the falls, it creates a backlog of salmon. And often these high concentrations of salmon make for relatively easy fishing. And so that's why we see such large numbers of bears here. So the time you saw the 60 bears in one sweep, what time of year was that? Yeah, um, so you see the most bears in the peak season, so peak run, which tends to be mid-July or so. So tell me about the bear cams there. We have eight bear cams located in the park, a couple at the Brooks Falls area, one downstream of the falls. We have an underwater cam, as well as several at the lower river and one on Dumpling Mountain. And these cams generally operate from around late June through October. And 
through these, it's pretty incredible because Katmai is such a remote place and not many people get to visit here in person. But these cams allow virtual visitors to watch the lives of bears play out throughout the season, but also through the course of years. So does the park service there set the cameras up and maintain them? So we work hand in hand with our partner, explore.org, and they have a huge hand in coming out each year in terms of coming in spring and helping things get up and running and then also coming up in fall to help shut things down. And along with them, we run a lot of live programs on the cameras as well. I think so often we see bears as solitary creatures. And here at Brooks, when food is plentiful, we get to see moments where bears interact, not just in a competition, but also if they, they play as well. So we see cubs playing with each other, sometimes cubs from different litters playing with each other, and even sub-adult bears, which are like the teenagers of the bear world, as well as adult bears playing too. Yeah, is there any aggressiveness between um, bears uh, competing for food? Absolutely. When you think about a bear's life, their waking moments are devoted to eating. They essentially need to eat an entire year's worth of food in six months or less, because come wintertime during hibernation, they're not going to eat or drink anything, but rely solely on those fat reserves that they've accumulated. And so, yes, absolutely. There is competition for resources and we will see Bears, they create a hierarchy amongst themselves in order to essentially avoid unnecessary physical contact and physical conflict. And this system actually allows for them to get food. But absolutely, there is competition for resources. But Brooks Camp is one of those places where we still have plentiful numbers of food or else we wouldn't see such high numbers of bears here. Yeah, and it's really interesting to watch how bears catch the fish and you kind of wonder how they can be so good at catching quick, slippery fish. Uh, seems like a lot of patience is required. Um, and like you say, maybe it's not so hard because the salmon are kind of backlogged trying to get up over the falls. Yeah, we see all sorts of different fishing techniques that bears use from a dash and grab technique, which is an active one where they're running after the fish and they'll try and pounce and catch that fish to the ground and get it there. Or we'll see more of a sit and wait technique. So waiting for the fish come to you and that can be very energy efficient. Um, it's all about more calories in than out. And yeah, it's incredible to watch these bears fish because there is such dexterity there. And I know I mentioned the lip of the falls earlier and that is a place that not all bears learn to fish. It's really difficult because when you think about it, you have this five pound fish flying at your face and you have to be able to catch it in your mouth. So imagine that you might be trying to catch a sack of flour being thrown at you. And it's so amazing to watch bears pull this off. So how many fish will a bear eat in a day? Um, and what kind of fish are swimming in the Brooks River? And I guess, will the bears eat any fish? So... Bears here are primarily eating sockeye salmon in the Brooks River. That is the best run that we have in this area. And we have witnessed bears eat perhaps 40 plus salmon in a day. So incredible numbers. 
And when you think that each fish might have anywhere from 3,000 to 6,000 calories or so, even bears who are eating moderate numbers of salmon, say 15 or so, that is a lot of calories. And of course, for bears, that is a good and necessary thing. And talk a little bit more about how a bear's normal diet compares with how much they eat when they're getting ready to hibernate. Right now it is fall. And so we see bears entering a stage called hyperphagia. And essentially what this is, is the chemical that tells the body I'm full gets suppressed. And so they can just eat and eat and eat. And essentially that is what they need to do to survive. And they are taking these last moments to pack away the calories and they never get full. And when you see, I suppose, if you think about bears eat seasonally and they're also opportunists. So if you start off in spring, food is pretty lean. And so then they'll be eating primarily overwintered berries, grasses and sedges until the salmon run starts. And you'll see the peak of that in mid-July, and that's when they'll start really feasting on the salmon. And then by the time fall hits around, it is their last chance to pack on those pounds. So hyperphagia, essentially where the chemical that tells the body I'm full is suppressed. And so bears are putting in those last calories. And at this time, we might see them eat enough food to gain two plus pounds of fat a day. Wow. This is Lynn Riddick, and I'm speaking to Leon Law from Katmai National Park and Preserve, and we'll be right back after this short message. Full of stunning photography and thought-provoking reads, Smoky's Life is a biannual magazine produced by Great Smoky Mountains Association. Members receive it free of charge each spring and fall, and it is available for purchase in retail stores throughout Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and online at smokiesinformation.org. The Grand Teton National Park Foundation is a private, nonprofit organization that supports projects that protect and enhance Grand Teton National Park's cultural, historic, and natural resources. By funding initiatives that go beyond what the National Park Service could accomplish on its own, foundation donors improve the visitor experience and provide benefits to the national park system for decades to come. See their successes at gtnpf.org. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. Show your appreciation at brpfoundation.org. The beauty of lifelong membership with Interior Federal Credit Union is that we are here for you forever to handle any financial needs that life throws your way car loans, home repairs, investment accounts, trust accounts for the family. 99% of our members never visit a branch because of our 4.8 star rated mobile app. Make sure you share the gift of membership with your family. Start kids and grandkids with a Little Buffalo account at interiorfcu.org. Federally insured by NCUA. The Yosemite Conservancy helps visitors connect with Yosemite through adventures, volunteering, and the arts. It's the only nonprofit dedicated to supporting Yosemite National Park and funds grants to improve trails, restore habitat, protect wildlife, and inspire the next generation of nature lovers. Learn more at yosemite.org. I'm back now with Katmai Visual Information Specialist, Leon Law. Well, let's talk about Fat Bear Week now. 
It's been going on since 2014, and it's really grown. In fact, I read some 800,000 votes were cast last year. Fat Bear Week began simply as a one-day voting event in 2014, and it was nicknamed Fat Bear Tuesday. And it was so successful that the following year, it was expanded into a full week. And now, like you mentioned, last year we had over 800,000 votes. So we have seen this rise in popularity and it's pretty impressive. And throughout the time, you know, the purpose has stayed the same. We always want to talk about our fat bears, about the challenges they face, but also about the healthy ecosystem here at Katmai overall, of which the fat bears are a product of. And so as it's been continuing to grow in popularity, we've increased more programming as well as including a fat bear junior competition as well. Yeah, I want to ask you about that in a minute, but where did this idea come from? Yeah, it came from a ranger back in 2014 who thought that it would be a great way to involve the public in showing them the differences, the changes that these bears go through from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, and allowing people to see that and then just kind of vote on their favorite. So what's the role of the Katmai Conservancy in Fat Bear Week? Um, What other ways do they help with the park? So Katmai Conservancy is the park's partner organization. They do a lot of fundraising for us to support park initiatives that include all sorts of research going on in the park. And they hold a large fundraiser during and after Fat Bear Week that really supports a lot of the park's mission. So how does Fat Bear Week work exactly? Fat Bear Week, during this time, we create a bracket for bears and viewers, they vote on which bear they think should move on in the bracket and ultimately crown the Fat Bear Champion. So it's something that takes place completely online. So you don't need to be at Katmai. In fact, if you come here at that time of year, no visitor services will be available. So this is a completely virtual event. And essentially, we also add in a lot of different programming. We talk about the challenges that the bears face, as well as the individual bears and their stories as well. And essentially, when we choose bears, we are looking for bears of different categories. So we always want to include a cub, a sub-adult, adult bears, male and female, females with cubs, so that we can tell stories and highlight individuals. And you'll often see that these bears have three-digit numbers, and some of them have nicknames. And We don't collar our bears here. So again, we identify them all based on physical characteristics as well as behavioral characteristics. So yes, it can be very challenging to tell bears apart. Um, But as you come to watch them and learn them, you see how individual they are. But still, bears change so much over the course of the season when they gain weight, when they shed out their fur and grow in their new coats. And it is a continual process. It is something exceptionally hard to identify the bears here, but it can be done. (laughs) So give me an example of a bear um, and the life history or unique challenges that it faced uh, that you want to share during this competition. Oh man, each of these bears is in the bracket for a reason. Each of them has a story to tell and has a history. And so I could highlight so many of the bears. 
but let's talk about 435 Holly. And she is a previous Fat Bear Week winner. She is a female bear. And her story is unique because several years ago, she took in a lone yearling. She was raising a spring cub of her own and she essentially adopted this lone yearling bear. And adoptions are things that happen naturally in the wild, but it is incredibly rare. And so we were able to follow her story of her raising this other yearling, as well as her own spring cub. And she nursed them together, she weaned them together, and she emancipated them together. And so she has a very interesting story and she's been a very successful mother bear in general. So any idea of who is participating in Fat Bear Week? Do you have uh, an idea of the ages or locations of uh, folks, any schools involved, that kind of thing? So the reach of Fat Bear Week has proven incredible. We have viewers worldwide and we don't have data on who votes, but we do have demographics on who views the Fat Bear Week voting websites. And so people are interested from every continent, aside from Antarctica. Um, aside from the US, Canada is the other country who has a lot of views, but we have people from everywhere. As for age range, we know that teachers have been taking Fat Bear Week into the classroom. We even host a special live event answering student questions. So we know that people are interested from young students to lifelong learners. In terms of age range, though, the bulk of people are between 18 and 44. So education is really the greater purpose of this event. It's very fun and involves a lot of people. What are some of the great obstacles that face the brown bears in the park that, that you'd like people to learn about? So bears face challenges all the time. And it really, their stories are ones of adaptability and resiliency. We here celebrate Fat Bear Week because it truly is a celebration. That challenge of survival for them is incredible and that transformation that they undergo. So we are celebrating their success, but we're also celebrating Katmai's healthy ecosystem overall because yes, bears face challenges everywhere, but here it's something that we can put up on a pedestal because our bears are doing really well, but not all bears and not all places are so protected. But there are many challenges from getting fat to survival to raising cubs. The everyday life of a brown bear always brings something new and challenging. Yeah, I was kind of curious when you were talking about the little orphan bear that was adopted by Molly. Was that her name? I kind of wondered what happened. Holly, yes. Holly. I kind of wondered what happened to her mom. Any idea? Her, uh, I believe the cub the, the lone yearling, now numbered 503, was essentially separated early from mom. Um, that bear is still around, bear 402, and she has raised other litters before, but separation, that happens occasionally, whether it's a male who is seeking to mate with a female, so it'll separate the mom and cub. It happens. There are all sorts of challenges that bears face. And that one example of 435 Holly and that yearling who is now bear 503 is a great example 
of us being able to watch bears live out their wild and natural lives. And it seems incredible, these stories that they tell, but for bears, it's just everyday survival. And so you mentioned that this year is the first time you're going to choose a bear cub to compete in the tournament. So how, how's that going to work? Sure. So actually, this is the second year of Fat Bear Junior competition. But essentially, we create an abbreviated bracket to highlight the cubs that we do have in this area. Because when you think about cubs, their survival rate is the lowest of any class of bears. And yet their weight gain has to be the highest. Pound for pound, they gain more weight essentially as a percentage. So a spring cub born in the den is going to weigh approximately one pound. And by the end of the season, when it goes back into that den, it's going to be maybe 70 to 80 pounds. And so that is something remarkable. And bear cub survival and them putting on weight is something that just needed a little extra emphasis. So that's why we have Fat Bear Jr. So when will they start hibernating? Does it depend on the weather? Does it depend on uh, shortened days? Bears enter the den during late fall, early winter, and we will see sows with cubs start denning earlier than males, single males being the last to enter the den. And so they might enter the den anywhere from late October to early December for some of those single males. Well, Fat Bear Week, how does one sign up for it? So participating in Fat Bear Week is easy. All you have to do is go to fatbearweek.org and you can find a lot of information there. That's the website hosted by explore.org and where all voting takes place. But also be sure to follow Katmai's social media as well because we provide a lot of insight into the individual bears. But voting all takes place online. And we also have a lot of live chat events that viewers can also watch during that week as well. Any idea how much last year's winner uh, weighed? Yeah, so last year's winner was 480 Otis. And of course, we wish that bears would get on a scale for us, but <laughs> most of our weights all come from estimates. So if we were going to estimate his weight, he was probably around 900, maybe a thousand pounds. So when you think about large adult males in early summer, they may weigh 600 to 900 pounds, but by the end of the season, they can weigh over a thousand and our largest bear is estimated to be around 1400 pounds or so so that is an incredible gain sounds like a huge bear yeah for sure <laughs> it's kind of intimidating to watch him walk around <laughs> <laughs> those are all the questions i had uh anything that i left out or that you'd like to add so I have mentioned before how Fat Bear Week is a celebration, and it definitely is. We are holding bears here up at Brooks Camp almost on a pedestal. Um, we are an example of bears surviving and doing it well. But it's important to remember that not all bears in all places are so well protected. And through this, we hope that people not only gain awareness about Katmai overall, but encourage people to find something that they find important in their ecosystem as well and cherish and conserve that, whether that's here at Katmai or closer to home. That's a great message. Well, Fat Bear Week is October 5th through 11th, so get your bracket going, everyone. 
Leon, thanks for your time today. I'm definitely signing up for this. Sounds like a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun, so be sure to join in. Thanks, Lynn. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. And we hope you come away with a winning bracket. Next week, Lynn will be focusing on Saratoga National Historical Park and the spot where a relative ragtag collection of colonials taught the British Army an unforgettable lesson. For The Traveler, this is Kurt Repencheck. See you in the parks. The composers and musicians at Orange Tree Productions have created a unique collection known as the National Park Series that has grown to include more than 30 CD titles. Composed against the backdrop of a park's sounds of nature, these musical scores will connect you with these beautiful places and take you there, at least in your mind. This collection is the number one selling National Park audio series in the world and provides the background music for National Park's Travelers podcasts. Visit them at orangetreeproductions.com. Editing and production work for the National Parks Traveler podcast is done by Splitbeard Productions. You can learn more about us at splitbeardproductions.com. National Parks Traveler is a 501c3 nonprofit media organization that provides daily editorial coverage of national parks and protected areas. Traveler's coverage is made possible by reader and listener donations. Visit nationalparkstraveler.org.